Hello everyone, welcome to episode number 33 of Starting to Know Business Podcast with your host and your friend Ishu Singh. How are you doing? How was your day? If you're just starting out, how was your yesterday? How was your last week? How was your this week? How was your month? How was your year? I really hope and really wish that it was great. I wish you all the success. In the last episode, I mentioned you about the digital magazine of starting to know. Did you get a chance to have a look? If not, after this podcast, you can go there, startingtoknow.com. Go there, have a look. You're going to learn a ton of information. I'm telling you with very, very high confidence level. I'm not just telling you because this is just my venture. I'm telling you because you will learn a ton of information from there. Trust me, have a look, go there and let me know. We built a really solid platform, spend a lot of time in the design because I'm a design freak. I love design. I love beautiful things. Go there, have a look and let me know. You can email me. You know my space. You know my area. Issue, sync. Go there, learn about my projects, learn about the things that I'm doing. If you don't know me, go there and let me know. Thank you so much. Just in case, if you're pretty new here, if you're listening to this podcast for the very first time, Starting to Know Business podcast is about business and learning something new about business with every single podcast episode. If you didn't get a chance to have a look on my YouTube channel, go to Issue Singh channel name on YouTube and you will find the videos related with different topics, product marketing and things like that. So really, we try to be creative in terms of visual there so you can have a look. Again, let me know how you felt about that in the comments there. In today's episode, I have Dr. Erica Gray with me. She is a chief medical officer of Toolbox Genomics and My Toolbox Genomics. It is a digital platform basically to get the individual's genetic test results. And by getting that information, the users or people would be able to live healthier lifestyle. Dr. Erica Gray is having two decades of experience in the world of functional medicine. So just imagine the amount of knowledge there. And she's also running the company. So you can just imagine the amount of power or amount of knowledge that she's going to have in terms of running a successful company. So without further ado, let's welcome Erica. Hi, Erica. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me, Ishu. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. And Erica, uh, let's start from your company. What are you doing nowadays? Like, tell us, share about the company name and other things that you're doing. So my company is Toolbox Genomics and Toolbox is the parent company. And then I like to say Toolbox had a baby and that's my Toolbox Genomics. So we're, uh, Toolbox Genomics is a platform and an end-to-end genetic testing company that provides easy, actionable 
and really relevant information for practitioners. And we had so many consumers asking us for the opportunity for something similar uh, to Toolbox for themselves. And so we rolled out my Toolbox Genomics, which is really designed with the consumer in mind. Um, they get all of their information on an app and they can set some of the specifications in the app for what their goals are. So right now, a lot of my focus is around helping to educate uh, consumers how to understand their results and, and sharing more information about DNA to the world as well. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of things going on in this area. I know that. But at the same time, there is a curiosity among people like about their data because it's a digital platform. Um, companies are checking it. They are concerned about like how the companies will uh, share this information um, among among their team members or outside. Are they going to share what they're going to share? What do you think about it? Like what's going, what's happening in this industry? Great question. Uh, many, many components to it. So I think the it really got brought this onto everybody's radar is when 23andMe announced that they were sharing their data with a pharmaceutical company. And I think a lot of people consented to opting in for research out of the goodness of their heart and to try to help move this field of medicine along. And then they felt betrayed. So I think people became very wary of that. So when we set up our company, because we run everything from end to end, we control everything and we just essentially house the raw data in a secure cloud that conforms to the European privacy and the European security standards. Mm -hmm. And it just hangs out there. We don't do anything with it. We don't sell it to anybody. The only thing we will do is sometimes look at the data just to see if there's some particular trends or something where we can help consumers better understand their data or help practitioners understand more of how they can help their patients. But it, for us, you know, it is your data. You get to call the shots and you make the decision of what you want to do. So our lab destroys the sample in two months and we will destroy your raw data with written request. And once that's destroyed, it's destroyed. So if you want to come back and get, look at your results again, you'll have to resequence because we won't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, interesting take to solve the problem. And how this all started, and I would say why you picked this genomics industry, like why this specifically, because I know like you have got other experiences as well in the same industry, medical. Yeah, so in pharmacy school, they we learned about pharmacogenomics, how individuals break down different medications and how different individuals have different responses to medications. So I had already had some education in that field, but it really came together when my parents did their 23andMe and we found out my father is a, has the APOE gene, which puts him at an increased risk for Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And I remember dreading the conversation with him, you know, how do I bring this information to my parent? And he was so matter of fact about it, but his question was, okay, what do I do about it? And that's really when the rubber hit the road because I realized that well, we don't build bookcases or build houses without blueprints, but we practice medicine 
on ourselves without ever consulting our own instruction guide. And that's our DNA. So that's really what I set about to do is how do we take this vast amount of data? Not all of it is relevant. A lot of it is still untapped territory that hasn't been studied. And how do we distill it down into something that's meaningful to people so they get a better understanding of who they are, what does their health trajectory look like, and more importantly, what can they do about it? Erica, like coming back to the point, what do you think, like what kind of generation is accepting this kind of testing more? Like are those more millennials or the older generation is accepting these kind of testing more? What do you think, like what kind of trends are happening? So it's definitely two groups. I see uh, a lot of millennials. Millennials are very data-driven. They love their wearables. They treat health um, almost as a hobby. They're, you know, they're biohacking. They're trying on um, different, they're checking out different modalities. And I think in millennials, we really see a lot of change, but it's data-driven. And then the other group is the millennials' parents. And the millennials' parents are driven from a very different perspective because they have seen their parents go through some type of health crisis, health calamity, and oftentimes they have felt either let down or even betrayed um, by the medical profession that they didn't get proactive, preventative care early enough, or that it really wasn't individualized. So a lot of millennials' parents are very motivated to take action and to prevent some of the uh, difficulties that they saw their own parents suffer from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Erica, like I am not familiar with this industry that much. So like, I want to understand more, like what happens in this? Like if I go to doctor, they, they ask me for the normal blood work and other tests. So, so it's being accepted by the whole uh, medical area, like all the doctors are accepting it, or it's just like more so of a personal choice if you want to have a deeper level look uh, in, in like inside your body, like see what is happening. Like, um, can you can you try to explain me like in in uh, layman language, like what's happening here? Yeah, so I would say traditional, traditionally trained practitioners are aware of genetics from the perspective of pharmacogenomics, um, cancer biopsies, where they're actually starting to look at the different types of cancers. Um, Are they receptive to certain chemotherapy agents? And of course, uh, certain cancer genes like BRCA. So those are much, much more accepted. Um, Again, I would say that there's probably a decent handful of the medical population that is just still not comfortable with it. It ultimately boils down to how much learning and education have you had around it. And that usually translates to a comfort level. And in a typical residency, you just don't have the time to set aside to learn about genomics. So as a result, a lot of practitioners have to do this after they're completed with residency, fellowship, training, et cetera. And so oftentimes they don't have the time. And so that creates a bit of a barrier and a reluctance to get into this. But what I find is a lot of functional or um, alternative medicine practitioners have really embraced this 
because the training that they receive if they choose to go into those different uh, sub categories or subpaths is there is a lot more of an emphasis on genetic individuality, the field of nutrigenomics. So the interaction of nutrition with our genes and the data is there. It's been studied very, very well for the last 20, 30 years, even depending on the genes, but it really is how much familiarity do you have with it and how much time do you have to dedicate to it? So even when you go to your doctor and you ask for a blood test that is outside of the norm. So let's say um, I'm a healthy individual. My fasting glucose is usually below 90, you know, between 80 and 85. And if I ask for a fasting insulin level, what my doctor tells me because I have an HMO is, well, you don't need an insulin level because you're healthy. Your glucose levels are fine. But from my perspective, I want to know where my insulin level is so I can track it over time. And I can see if that is a trend that's going up and I need to be very conscientious about my diet or if I'm doing a good job with my diet. So I find that even outside of genetics, even just tests that practitioners are not familiar with can often be met with resistance. So this does tend to be very much fueled by consumers bringing it to their practitioners or by practitioners in a certain subset that have learned about this and see the value of how they can further personalize medicine for their patients. Mm -hmm. So it's basically more so of a knowledge-driven business. I can say that first, you need to provide knowledge. First, the person has to be ready to accept the knowledge, like something is out there that can help the, that particular person to improve their health. Then they're gonna learn about this um, particular area and then the steps will happen, right? It's more so of more of knowledge driven, right? Exactly, very much so. Mm -hmm. And when did you start this company? Uh, we started in 2015 and incorporated in 2016. So between uh, 2015 and 2016, my co-founder and I spent all of our time doing hundreds of customer interviews to really learn more about what is it that consumers were looking for and where was that gap in the market so we could put together a company and a product that would help answer those questions. Mm -hmm. And okay, I hope that the journey would have been smooth, but I know at the same time that it's not possible like when you're starting something. <laughs> So what, according to you, was the most uh, difficult part when you were starting out? Uh, we felt you, you come up with a great idea and people say it's excellent. And then what happens is people say, oh, well, then you could do this. Well, have you thought about this? Oh, hmm. let me introduce you to so-and-so. This would be a great partnership. And it is so easy to lose sight of the focus of what you initially wanted to launch because people have great ideas and you don't wanna discount those, but the shiny object syndrome and getting distracted by other things is so hard. And really, I think you know, in terms of giving some suggestions and advice, remember what your minimum viable product plan is and get that out there so you can test it. Because I guarantee what you launch with and what you have in a year, two years, three years is going to be very different because you're going to iterate. 
But if you don't actually get something out there, you have no reflection and no information of what you need to change. Cool. And do you think like starting is the hardest or you're going to say that the growing the business is the hardest one? I would say starting is easy because it's so much fun to brainstorm and come up with all of these ideas. Mm -hmm. But I think it is all of the unknown that you just had no clue, no idea. I mean, I so when I started this company, to me, it was a genetic company. But really, what we ended up becoming was a software company because we were providing the interpretation, the database, the understanding of it. Well, I had no idea how to code. How do I give information to programmers so I make it easy for them? Um, how do you analyze corner cases? How do you market it? How do you position yourself? There's just, it's like having children. You have an idea of what it's going to be like, but until you're actually a parent, there's all these things that people don't tell you about. True, true. I agreed. And you you also touched the point of position. So wanted to ask you like, uh, because it just touched and came in my mind, like what was the positioning strategy that you chose when you were thinking of launching or when you launched, like you were thinking you're going to come up or your product is going to be completely unique or is going to be uh, cheaper in terms of uh, cost. Like it's going to be cheap for people to pay you instead of your competitor, if there is any. Yes. So in, and it's pretty interesting to see what's happened in, in the last five years. So when we started, nobody was taking the 23andMe data and distilling it down into an easy to understand package. So we recognized people already paid a fair amount of money for that. So we wanted to make it a cost effective, easy to understand, actionable. So we spent all of our focus on that. And then we realized that, well, with consumers, it's a one-to-one -one relationship. There's the cost of customer acquisition is actually pretty high. You've got to get in front of people. Um, consumers are capricious. You know, they we know that people don't hold their attention span very well. So after doing it for about a year, we said, well, we need to actually pivot and go to practitioners because practitioners is more of a, then we're a B2B relationship. And then the practitioner is going to be one to many. So it's going to be much more efficient for us. And, and it has, it, it absolutely has. And what we have found for practitioners is that they want something that's easy to understand. They want to be able to quickly look at it, get an idea of what they need to talk about with their patient and go see their patient. If they get 50 pages that they have to then plug into an Excel sheet and do their own analysis, it's not time effective for them. So we've really cut through a lot of that noise for practitioners, done that for them. We've organized the panels in such a way that it's flexible, cost-effective, and they can do some customization. And then plus we've kept it um, economically possible for them as well. Mm -hmm. In B2B area, like usually the sales cycle is longer because right. you need to go through a lot, lot of people. But in this case, uh, the decision maker is not having that much amount of time to think about, okay, is this gonna be right solution or not? You need to give them bite-sized information, right? Yes. And then you have to teach the practitioners how to sell to the consumer. So that was another little feature that we didn't 
understand or appreciate. We just figured if the practitioner was excited about it, then that's all we needed to do. And what we realized was that there's still that gap, that education gap, that it was also incumbent upon us to provide to the practitioner so they could help educate their consumers or their patients. So you're still using the same positioning strategy right now, even going through the practitioners? Yes. So we're using practitioners and, you know, utilizing different platforms, of course, conferences, which are now virtual, um, doing different outreaches, whether it's media, podcasts, et cetera, has been a really great way for us to get in front of other practitioners. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can't underestimate the value of really helping practitioners one-on-one. And what we have found is we've really, really improved the stickiness um, of our company by making sure that I just really push all practitioners to make an appointment with me as soon as they get their first set of results, because then they're not lost and they're not getting frustrated because we want it to be successful. As long as it's successful, then they're going to come back around. Mm-hmm. So lots of, lots of learning. What is your vision for this company? Like, uh, what do you think where it is going to go? Well, I'm really excited about the opportunity that we have brought in. So in addition to DNA, we've also done epigenetics. Um, so when people talk about, think about epigenetics, they're usually thinking about our microbiome, diet, sleep, food, et cetera. And those are all things that affect our epigenetics, but this is actually looking at a certain part of our genes. And we're looking to see um, how on or off these genes are. So it's a really, really cool technology. And so where I really want to be able to go and take our company is bring things like the DNA is our foundation. Then we want to look at the epigenetics and then we want to look at the microbiome because we know all of these things work together. And my, my dream would be, I, I had, it's probably a programming nightmare, but my dream is that people could put in their supplements, their diet, their exercise, and it, the AI or the, the um, programming would enable them to see, wow, because you've done this, you don't need to worry about these different genes, but you do need to worry about these because of these labs or these epigenetic markers that we're seeing. So really giving people real time feedback based off of where they are exactly in their life. So basically opening more channels in terms of what they're doing, uh, attaching this technology, what do you have right now with what people are doing in their daily lives, what they're eating, maybe their diet plans and other things they can put in there. AI will take the data and will maybe suggest a test, right? Suggest a test, suggest uh, some tweaks. Hmm. And also it will keep it dynamic because we know that people's lives change. I mean, if you think about it last year, how people live their lives in February versus March completely changed. And Hmm. so that would exert other or different effects onto their DNA or their microbiome. That would be neat to measure and give people some real-time feedback about. Mm-hmm. Erica, any money raised so far, or this has been a completely bootstrap journey? <laughs> no, we have, we have definitely raised money. We've had a, a couple rounds um, and we do have investors who are actively involved with us. 
Cool, cool. And how was that journey? Was that easy, simple? People think that, yeah, they're going to write you a million dollar check right away. You come <laughs> up with the idea. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> uh, it is a lot harder than you think. Um, so definitely you know, who you know uh, helps a lot. Uh, recognize that you know when you don't hit your targets or your milestones, people are less reluctant to invest with you. So that becomes different. And it doesn't matter how well you think you've planned everything out and planned your milestones. There are so many unknowns that come up. It, it really makes it hard to hit milestones, I, from my opinion and from my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, investors look at that. They look, they look at to see how you're doing um, with your sales. And that's what they want to know. And so there were definitely times with fundraising where it was difficult, where people would say, I love your product. I love what you're doing, but I want to see the sales. I really want to see aggressive growth. And it was hard to explain to them. Yes, but this is a new field and practitioners take a while to be taught. There's education. You can't convey that in a pitch deck. and <laughs> You mm. can't convey that it takes time. They just want to see the sales. So definitely a tricky, tricky road. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts that you would like to share with the founder, the entrepreneur, the person who's listening to you right now? Any advice? <laughs> it is going to be harder than you realize. Um, you will learn so much about yourself and realize that this is probably going to be the cheapest MBA you will receive if you haven't received one. That's what my husband jokingly told me. Mm-hmm. Um, but either, your days will never end. You will always have more work to do, more meetings to have. And at the end of the day, you can't forget that you're also a human being and you are the daughter to someone, the son to somebody, wife, mother, husband, father, And they also really are there and they're rooting for you. So don't forget about those other really important, important supportive people in your life and make sure you make time for them. Cool. Cool. I really liked it. And where can we learn more about you and your business if someone wants to get in touch with you? Uh, You can learn more about us at Toolbox Genomics. That's G-E-N-O-M-I-C-S dot com. Uh, mytoolboxgenomics.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at the Gene Whisperer. That's with an E-R at the end. And you can feel free if you want to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn. And you can also send us an email at info at toolboxgenomics or mytoolboxgenomics, depending on what you're interested in. Cool. Thank you so much, Erica, for coming to the part today. This means a lot. Thank you so much for having me, Ishu. I really enjoyed the time.